0: chapter 23 of dawn of the morning this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by like many waters dawn of the morning by grace livingston hill chapter 23 the night that dawn left her husband's home marked the beginning of an era of sorrow in the history of the winthrops the distracted young husband and his father rode all night long Charles reached the Van Rensselaer's home a little sooner than old Mr. Winthrop, who had further to go. The young man's white, drawn face startled Mrs. Van Rensselaer as he stood to greet her in the gloomy parlor, where the scent of the wedding roses still lingered. She was in workaday attire, to set her house in order and prepare for what she hoped was to be a season of peace in her hitherto tempestuous life. Dawn was off of her hands finally, she felt, and she had no serious forebodings concerning her share in the matter. The hard part had been to get the girl off without her finding out the trick that had been played on her. It had amazed the stepmother that her plan had worked so well. She had been prepared for the discovery to be made soon after the ceremony, but she had trusted to Don's fear of publicity and Charles's evident infatuation to hush the matter up. Mrs. Van Rensselaer had been reasonably sure that she could even keep it from her husband's knowledge, though she was prepared with a plausible story in case he remonstrated. His sense of pride would make him readily persuadable to almost any plan that would hide their mortification from curious friends. She had been sure that she could make him see the whole thing had been done for his daughter's good, and now that the stepmother had succeeded even better than she had hoped in getting the couple off on their wedding trip without either one discovering her duplicity, she had been at rest about the matter. Charles was enough in love to be able to make everything all right, and he would never blame her for having furthered his plans even though not quite in the way he had arranged. Dawn could not fail to be pleased with the husband her stepmother had secured for her, and even would thank her in later life, perhaps, for having helped her to him. And so Mrs. Van Rensselaer had gone placidly about the house, putting things to rights and enjoying the prospect of a comfortable future without the fear of an unloved stepdaughter's presence haunting her. But when she saw Charles's face, a pang of fear shot through her and left her trembling with apprehension. His voice sounded hollow and accusatory when he spoke. Is Dawn here, Mrs. Van Rensselaer? A thousand possibilities rushed through the woman's brain at once, and she felt herself brought suddenly before an awful judgment bar. What had she done? How had she dared? How swift was retribution! Not even one whole day of satisfaction, after all her trouble. She tried to summon a natural voice, but it would not come. Her throat felt dry, as if it did not belong to her, and she answered, Here? No, how could she be here? Didn't you take her away? The young man sat down suddenly in the nearest chair with a groan and dropped his head into his hands. The woman stood silent, frightened before him. Mrs. Van Rensselaer, what have you done? Why did you do it? Well, really, what have I done? The sharp voice of the woman returned to combat as soon as the accusation pricked her into anger. I'm sure I helped you to get a wife you seemed to want bad enough, and never would have got if I hadn't managed affairs. You haven't any idea how hard she was to manage, or you'd understand. It was a very trying situation, and it isn't every woman could have made things go as well as I did. Not to have a soul outside your family know that there had been a change of bridegrooms. You see, none of our friends had ever seen your brother, and as the name was the same there were no explanations necessary. Mrs. Van Rensselaer, I would never have married Dawn against her will. It was not right for you to deceive her. She ought to have been told just how things stood and what my brother had done. Hm. and a pretty mess, with her crying and saying she wouldn't marry anybody and all the wedding guests coming. Young man, you don't know what you're talking about. That girl isn't easy to manage, and I guess you've found it out already. She's like a flea. When you think you have her, she's somewhere else. I knew something desperate would have to be done before she ever settled down and accepted life as it had to be, and I did it. That's all. Well, what's the matter anyway? Have you got tired of your bargain already and turned her out of your house?" Mrs. Van Rensselaer was exasperated and frightened. She scarcely knew what she was saying. Any moment her husband might come into the house, if she could only get the interview over before he came and perhaps hide at least part of the story from him. She dreaded his terrible temper. She had always had an innate presentiment that sometime that temper would be let loose against her, and she knew now the moment was come. Charles looked up with his handsome and usually kindly eyes, blazing with amazement and indignation. Mrs. Van Rensselaer, my wife has gone away. We have searched all night and cannot find her. I was sure she had come home. Oh, what shall I do? Well, I'm sure I don't see how I'm to blame for her having left you, snapped out Mrs. Van Rensselaer. I did my part, and made sure you got her. You ought to have been able to keep her after you had her. How'd she come to leave you?" I cannot tell exactly. She went up to see Mother a few minutes, after supper, and then— Oh! said Mrs. Van Rensselaer, with disagreeable significance. And then we cannot find her, went on Charles, unheeding. She left a note with good-bye. That was all. I have no clue. The front door opened, and Mr. Van Rensselaer walked in. His face was white, for he had not slept well. In a dream his dead wife had stood before him and seemed to be taking him to task about her child, the daughter who left her father's house but a few hours before. He had gone out for the morning mail, hoping to get rid of the phantoms that pursued his steps, but his head was throbbing. How much he had heard of what they had been saying they did not know. He stood before them, white and stern-looking, glancing from one to the other of the two in the dim parlour. "'Where is my daughter?' he asked. She is gone, Mr. Van Rensselaer, answered Charles pitifully. I have searched for her all night long. I hoped she was here. Gone, repeated the father in a strange, faraway voice. Then he wavered for an instant and fell at their feet as if dead. The accusations of his own heart had reached their mark. The iron will yielded at last to the finger of God. They carried him to his bed and called the doctor. Confusion reigned in the house. The old doctor shook his head and called it apoplexy. Mr. Van Rensselaer was still living, and might linger for some time, but it would be a living death. And so, while he lay upon his bed breathing, but dead to the world about him, they made what plans they could to find his daughter. Charles's father came in sadly, reporting no success in the search. They started out once more after a brief rest. Mrs. Van Rensselaer was in no condition to help them now. She had her hands full, poor woman. One thing had been spared her, her husband did not know her part in the disappearance of his daughter. Perhaps he might never need to know, yet as she went about ministering to that silent living dead whom she had loved beyond anything earthly, her heart was full of bitterness and fear. The months that followed were terrible to Charles. After a few days of keeping the matter quiet and hoping they would find her by themselves, they made the disappearance public, and the whole countryside joined in the search. The greatest drawback to success was that so few people had seen Dawn since she grew up. The servants in her father's house had seen her during the week she had been home from school, but scarcely anyone else except for a passing glance on the street. All searching was in vain. There were notices put up in the papers of that region. They sent to her old school for knowledge of her. They left no stone unturned. And the wonder of it is that Don's friend the minister, or some of the selectmen, especially Silas Dobson, did not see the notices that appeared in New York papers and in those of smaller towns, and connect the mysterious disappearance with the new teacher that had come to their village. But the old clergyman had vouched for her, and there was apparently no mystery about her. This good man did not often have opportunity to read papers of other towns, save his regular weekly religious sheet then too the place where Dawn had found refuge was small and insignificant and not on the line of most travel she could not have been better sheltered from the searchers. It was the day after Charles had been to see the body of a young woman who had been found in the river some fifty miles distant from his home that he became ill with typhoid fever. Not for a day had he rested or given up his search when one clue failed he went to the next with restless feverish energy and a haunted look in his eyes. The boy had become a man, and the man was bearing a heavy burden. His father saw it and grieved for him. His mother saw it and accused herself. His sisters saw it and did their best to help him. Betty was constantly thinking up new plans for the search and saying comforting cheering things to her brother. Charles loved her dearly for it, but nothing brought relief. His affection for Don had been such as rarely grows in a human heart, even after years of acquaintance. It had sprung full-bloomed into being, and filled his whole soul. It is said that to the average man love is but an incident, while to a woman it is the whole of life. If that be so, there are exceptions, and Charles was one of them. He kept his love for his girl-wife as the greatest thing life had for him, and thought of nothing else day or night but to find her. No one dared to suggest his going back to college. That would be to admit that the search was hopeless, and that might prove fatal to Charles. The neighbors had begun to shake their heads and pity him. It was even whispered that the girl might have run away with another man, though no one ventured to say such a thing in the hearing of the family. If it had been in these days of telegraphs and telephones, railroads and detectives, it would have been but a matter of days until they had found her. But in those times travel and search were long and hard. There seemed little hope. It was the third dead face which Charles had searched for likeness of the girl he loved. He came home worn and exhausted, his spirit utterly discouraged and weary, and he was an easy prey to the disease which gripped him from the first in its most violent form. Silence and sadness settled down upon the Winthrop household, while the life of Charles was held in the balance. The father carried on the search for the lost wife more vigorously than ever, believing that the sight of her might bring his boy back even from the grave, but nothing developed. News from the Van Rensselaers gave no hope of the paralyzed man's recovery. He was lying like a thing of stone, unable to move. He could not even make a sound. Only his eyes followed his tormented wife, like haunting spirits sent to condemn her. The face was set in its stern expression, like a fallen statue of his proud, imperious self. It was midwinter before Charles began slowly to creep back to life, and there was still no clue to dawn. They dreaded to have him ask about her, though they had noticed how he had searched their faces every morning after consciousness returned to him. He knew as well as they that nothing had been accomplished toward finding her. One day he seemed more cheerful and a little stronger, and called old Mr. Winthrop to his side. "'Father,' said he, I've been thinking that perhaps she'd not like to come back here the way she feels about it. There was a little white house on the hills beyond Albany that we noticed as we came along on the train. We both said we should like to live there among the trees. Would you be willing that I should take the money grandfather left to me and buy that little house for her to come to? Then I could put a notice in the papers, telling her it was ready, and perhaps she would see it and understand. The old man's heart was heavy, for he had begun to believe that Dawn was no longer in the land of the living, but he would have consented to any plan that would comfort his boy and give him a new interest in life and so as soon as Charles was able to travel, they went together to purchase the small farm and Little White House. The next day there appeared in the New York papers this notice, which was printed many weeks and copied into numerous village papers. Don, the Little White House we saw near Albany is ready for us. Write and tell me where to find you, Charles. But nothing ever came in answer, though Charles watched every mail with feverish anxiety, and he still kept up his search in other directions so the spring crept on and almost it was a year since dawn had left him. End of chapter twenty three.